Well, hey you, hello there, every person everywhere. Why, hello again, everybody. How are you doing? My name is Lynn. I am every person everywhere, and this is stuff that you can relate to, hopefully. So, in the next episode, I'm going to talk about my conquest in the northern frontier. Svalbard. Svalbard's Longyearbyen and Neolisund are the northernmost two inhabited towns in the world that civilians can live in and access. There's Camp Barneo, and it's owned by the Russians and Norwegians, but that makes its base on an ice flow and is not permanent. There's other permanent civilizations further north, but they are research centers or they are owned by the military. So, anyone anywhere in the world can go to Svalbard. And actually, because it is sovereign of 21 states, that's right, 21 different countries lay claim to some part of this island. If you're from one of those 22-ish countries, 21-ish countries, including the United States and Norway and Russia and Denmark and Sweden and Poland and France and Germany and Australia, actually, you do not need a work visa to go there and work. You do not need a passport to go there and lay claim and settle. So, why aren't more people doing this? Well, let me lay it out for you. The sun never sets half the year. But it's still never above 40 to 45 degrees Fahrenheit. 8 degrees-ish Celsius. During the winter... The sun literally does not rise. It is pitch black for six-ish months. So when did I go there? Well, right in the transition between the two. So between the middle of October, no, I think actually it's the middle of September, up until the very tail end of April, give or take, the middle of April, rather. It is completely dark. And then it becomes very, very suddenly not so dark. So within a week, literally a week, everything changes. And all of a sudden, you now have permanent daylight. So I went on the tail end of that one week that it takes to transition between the two. Because of how far north it is, I mean, it's... 72 degrees latitude, which is six degrees above Reykjavik, which is four degrees above Angermansland and Lapland in Finland, which is where I spent quite some time touristing at, as I had said before. And needless to say, you know, it shows because, like I said, it's a very inhospitable place. The only reason it was ever settled is because people discovered coal and gypsum and iron up there. So if you don't work in tourism or you don't work in resource management or you don't work in the restaurants or hostels or hotels there, you're most likely there for energy. You're most likely there for mining. And a lot of people still live in coal barracks to this day. 
In fact, the the little hostel I stayed at with a girl named Sheila from Australia and an Italian-German dude named Simon. Shout out to both of you homies wherever you're at now. They, they still operate a coal facility. Like, there's half of the barracks are shacks for coal miners. So you will actually sometimes see coal miners coming in and chilling there. Another thing that was very interesting as such is no matter what building you go into, you always, always, it's mandatory, actually punishable by law, I think, you leave your shoes at the door. Why? Well, here's why. Because a lot of people who lived with the miners were getting miners lung, which meant that they were getting coal dust and emphysema and lung cancer and chronic pneumonia and bronchitis from dust from the mountainside being tracked into their houses. And there's still remnants of all the coal mining today, obviously, as well. So it's customary that you just take your shoes off at the door so you don't track any dust and dander and crap inside the house. So most of my time in Svalbard, I wasn't wearing shoes. The only real exceptions were in restaurants. You were some restaurants you could leave your shoes on, but even so... It was only at the bar. Like, you could wear your shoes to the bar, and that was it. <laughs> so when I drank at Svalbard Brewery, which is the northernmost brewery in the world, so I had the northernmost brewed beer in the world for, you know, $9 a glass, give or take. Amazing, amazing beer. Grown with hops that they actually grow in Svalbard somehow. And water harvested from the minerals of the springs around the area. But... Still, you know, this this homely, humble little place. Now, let me walk you through what's on Svalbard, Longyearbyen. There are 2,000 people that year-round claim home in Longyearbyen. There is one gas station grocery store owned by Co-op in the entire place. There is one religious establishment, and it's a church on top of the house, where I would go and visit and play piano at the northernmost church in the world. Of course, had to there's a lot of mountains. The city abruptly stops where they literally just couldn't continue because they couldn't dig through the mountainside. There are two main streets, one leading in through the rest of Svalbard and one leading out of it. There is a couple of cabins around. There's maybe one development full of houses. There are two bars. There are four restaurants, give or take, and there are maybe seven to eight hotels, and that's it. That is what Svalbard is. Svalbard is this little northern frontier that people sometimes go to hang out, but most of the time people just go to embrace being the northernmost place in the world. And man, did I learn a lot about the world and myself on this trip. So, what did I do there? Let me tell you. So, first and foremost, when I arrived to this um, archipelago slash island, I almost called it the country, but like I said, it's sovereign of 
Norway and also uh, staked out by another 20 some countries. Um, so it's not exactly a country, but it definitely functions and feels like a small country. I got there and like I said, this is right when it was transitioning from permanent night to permanent day. So I got there around five o'clock in the afternoon and the sun was roaring. It felt like it was like 10 o'clock in the morning with where the sun was at in the sky. I then got to my hotel and sat my bags down and by the time I took the shuttle to get there, paid for it, very grumpy driver, but hey, at least he got me where I needed to go, so whatever, not that bad after all. Um, it's like $5 bus ride to and from the airport and that's the only time you really need transport in Long Year Bend. The only other time is if you are taking a snowmobile to get across the country. You know, it's in the Arctic Circle. It's very, very close to the North Pole. You could actually fly to the North Pole on a separate excursion if you had the money um, from the hotel I stayed at. And you could fly to Camp Barneo, which is a 30-minute helicopter ride from the, North, from the North Pole. And you could have flown there in maybe an hour and a half. Extremely close to the North Pole where we were. Very, very rad to think that we were so close that we could literally get there like an hour and a half flight if we wanted to. It's a day trip overnight that I could have done, but I simply did not have several thousand dollars to spend on an overnight trip in the North Pole. Maybe one of these days, maybe one of these days. Otherwise, I'll take it as being the North Pole because it's the closest permanent habitation to there. But anyhow, um, if you're trying to get across the country to Neolisund or Pyramiden, which are the other small towns that only have a couple dozen people per to keep them running year-round, mostly for the sake of tourists, you typically need to get there by icebreaker or snowmobile. Uh, there's no way any other vehicle is going to get you there. It's just too treacherous to try and pass through. But it didn't really matter because you saw one single taxi driving people up and down the main strip of Long Year Bend. And honestly, you didn't really need that because the roads were so small and everything was so well kept, as I sort of described earlier. You could walk to the bar, which I did, and back to the far end of town, which I did, because that's where my first hotel was at. And it was maybe a 20-minute walk. 30 minute walk if you're not feeling too hot not too lucky maybe you're a bit drunk whatever um even to get to the dog kennels it's only an hour walk and that's outside of town and even to get to the Svalbard seed vault that was off into the foothills out past the coal mines it would have only taken you maybe an hour by snowmobile so everything's very very well kept because it's a very barren desolate wasteland like i said earlier it is mandatory as such that people carry a rifle with them whenever they're close to city outskirts because polar bears are outnumbering people there five to one typically usually two to three to one but during the winter time when i was there it would have been more like five polar bears per person there so Obviously, you don't want to mess around with them. They're ravenous creatures, and people have been killed in Svalbard. Very, very close. I've seen memorial pickets everywhere of people that 
lost their lives because they dicked around with polar bears on the outskirts of town and didn't have a gun to defend themselves with. Am I the biggest fan of shooting and basically poaching the wildlife? Absolutely not. But are you going to do what you got to do to survive when it's survival of the fittest? Absolutely right. So this is that one slippery slope area because even though animals claim more land than human, the seals, the reindeer, the arctic terns, the hares, the arctic hares, and so on and so forth, and the walruses, and the seals, and yeah, the harp seals, like, you still need to respect the interdependent web of nature. So, I'm very lucky that every bit of polar bear life and everything I just mentioned, I did get to see on an arctic cruise I took in my second day, which was five hours long, and I met this really, really wonderful family from Germany who's still in contact with me to this day. Uh, they were both uh, radiologist physicians making good money, and they just wanted a break from the norm because Germany was getting very politicized at that point in time because Merkel was becoming less and less popular and people still just needed to deal with her, obviously. So... They escaped to Svalbard for a couple weeks to escape the madness. They actually invited me out for drinks, which I did. I went out with them for drinks. And uh, the kids actually came along just because alcohol is part of German culture. And they then invited me over later for dinner. And I really wanted to go, but I had to respectfully decline because they were planning dinner at around 6, 6.30 p.m., and my flight uh, back to mainland Norway was at about eight. So I would have only had maybe a good 20 minutes to eat dinner with this new lovely family that I met. But still, very lovely human beings we keep in touch this day. I then also saw them off this cruise after having two beers and a hot toddy. They bought me um, one of the beers, actually, which is very, very, very nice of them. Just because the, the kids were fascinated by me. They never met an American, so I was the first one. And I got to practice my really crappy German with them, and they got to practice their passable English with me. And it was very, very nice to have that nice little culture exchange. And I met them later when I went to the, uh, the piano at the church on top of the world. The son and daughter were playing a duet when I walked in and they immediately got nervous when they saw me and I said, no, 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 keep playing. They did beautifully. And I told them that I play and then they told their kids and the kids said, I want to hear you sing a song. So then I whipped out, I think it was something by Bear's Den because I was obsessed with them at this point in time because of what they wrote about. I'll get into that in a moment when I talk about what I learned from Svalbard. So, the Arctic cruise, the walking 30 minutes to and from the end of town, getting groceries at co-op, very expensive, obviously, eating at restaurants, very expensive, obviously, but, you know, breakfast I ate on both tours that I took. Another tour that I took was climbing Sarkofagen, which is a big mountain outside of town, and that's where I took the northernmost photo of myself in the world, dressed in nothing but a shirt and shorts. Yes, I actually purposefully stripped down to my stockings for that photo to look cooler than I was. And I actually, I was sweating. I almost fell off the mountain a couple times wearing the crampons on my feet. I got to try skiing for the first time down that mountain face. And needless to say, I was not good at it whatsoever. But it was me and this nice little Italian dude named Ricardo. And we're still friends on Facebook and keep in touch to this day. Um... 
just because it was a slow season when I went, typically the expedition up the mountain face that leads at the tail end of town, which I walked to very, very easily, like a 15 minute walk to meet up with him. Typically he would cancel if there's less than five people, but he said, you know what? You're the only business that my brother and I have for this company for the next month. So why don't you and I just enjoy the hike together? And he was a very, very laid back dude who moved to Svalbard just because he liked the cold. And he was from near Sardinia, which is very warm, part of Italy. And his brother was there year-round. He spent half the year in Svalbard, half the year in his part of Italy. I think it might have been Tuscany. I'm not exactly sure. So forgive me, Ricardo, for forgetting. But he was just super cool and pulled me off the edge of the mountain when I almost fell twice. And we had hot tea and biscuits at the top and you know crackers and cookies and we just had a good time and we just had a heart-to-heart -heart talk the entire time of like the unrequited love that I was facing at that point in time because there was a girl I was head over heels in love with who just didn't sadly feel the same way about me really wanted to and tried to force herself to but just couldn't bring herself to and once again we're good friends to this day but still that was a hole in my heart because for whatever reason I had it made up in my mind that nobody would ever love me if it wasn't her very ridiculous I know but still it was a fear that I sat with especially being in a big city where there's a standard of attraction and not only does it normally not include Americans it normally includes people that have a full head of hair and people that are like muscular and built and go to the gym and have a well-built face and are currently working and I was just none of those things at that point in time. I've learned to accept myself since then and actually Ricardo, shout out to you because through me hearing about your story and your struggles and how much you miss your ex-wife and your family and all that stuff, you, you helped me learn to accept myself and realize that you know maybe things aren't so bad at the end of the day after all. So that was, quite honestly, exactly what I needed, was that trip. Now, doubling back to me talking about the season of year and uh, the fact that it's Twilight Zone year-round when I went there. So I was working on a very, very big assignment. It was my biggest assignment yet. Um, every assignment I had done until then was 300 or 3,500 words and I had one that was 3,000 words. This was 4,500 word assignment that I had to do on the status of affairs of one sector of healthcare that I wanted to hope to specialize in after I graduated. And I had to pull in everything I learned about that sector of healthcare in my electives during the semester. And who was it? Was it taxing? And I had to study for a stats exam of course, as well, as I had said once before, which I helped tutor, and that's when I learned I had a passion for teaching. But I had dinner, then I walked down into town because it was still light out, and, you know, there was no sense of time. I just needed to be awake around 7.30 a.m. because that's when the tour bus would come to pick me up for my Arctic cruise, um, which was very amazing. I got to see Pyramiden. I got to try whale for the first time, and I ate salmon. And obviously, I don't need it anymore, but very, very unique texture is whale. It sort of is like somewhat between haddock and duck as far as complexion, but it's kind of tough, like a rubbery thingy. Um, but 
once again, they eat it up there and they go whaling because that's what they need to do to survive. And of course, you know, people who are very super staunch vegans will say, ah, yada, yada, blah, blah. No, they don't. But okay, you try living off of imported goods and maintain freshness and all that stuff. Like, if you had a gold head of lettuce, like if you like, yeah, if you had a normal green head of lettuce, you hit a gold. Like it just doesn't happen because you're importing things many, many miles across the sea to try and sustain life. And obviously, there's small farms on Svalbard, but it's nothing to write home about. So. I had learned all of this in my first 24 hours being there. I'd also learned to check my watch because I ate a nice dinner and had my first beer in Svalbard. I went down to the bar and had a small little dessert and had two more beers. So I officially tried all three of the major beers that they brew at Svalbard Brewery. Now, I started walking home and I took a shower and I settled into my my uh, my hotel bed and I opened my laptop and I looked at the time and it was 11.15 at night. Why did I not believe this, you might ask? Well, because, like I said, they just got done permanent day or permanent night and it was just becoming permanent day and it looked like it was four o'clock in the afternoon. It was getting kind of dusky and it was kind of dark but the sun never left the sky. I have never done cocaine, but I would imagine that that is what cocaine feels like. Trying to sleep and the sun is just in your eyes. You know, I took a photo of the mountain range that I had been able to see from outside my window and you could see the mountain range outline clear as day because it was clear as day. It was, it was dark, it was nautical twilight, but st still that wasn't night. It's like if you fell asleep in the winter time, like imagine the last hour of light that you have before the sun sets and about how dusky and twilightish it gets. That's all the more I got. And then around three in the morning, the sun just started working its way back up. So I might have got 40 minute intervals of sleep throughout the night and I might have slept a total of 5 hours it was rough sleeping but it was cool, it's something I can never do again probably something I can say that I've done that a lot of other people I know have not and the food was expensive because imported from mainland Norway but amazing the people I met were amazing as I've told you about all of them and then my stories with them but something was wrong now, hiking and seeing all this wildlife and doing everything in the northernmost part of the world, a place you dreamed of going for four years, a place you once considered moving. What could possibly be wrong? Was it the Russian? Was it the Norwegian? Was it the fact that there was too much to do in this little town, it seemed? The fact that you could actually go to college up here? No. I tell you, what was wrong was me. Nothing was wrong with Svalbard. In fact, it was lovely. It was incredible. It was amazing. I really, really wish that I could go back. But I had brought a heavyweight with me. I had brought with me 
a lot of internal struggling and a lot of strife. I brought unrequited love and heartbreak with me. I brought not knowing who I was or where I was going next with me. I brought not only unrequited love, but I felt obligated at that point into being her best friend, even though it hurt me like no other. We've since overcome that, obviously, and we are actually decent friends to this day. But at that point in time, I had to say goodbye on and off for some time because, well, it just hurt too much. And Bear's Den, your album, So That You Might Hear Me, inspired me to grow past my suffering. You see, the lead vocalist of Bear's Den had a mother who had been living with alcoholism for a very long time. And he had lost his father when he was young and then also witnessed the loss of his stepfather who was the only person that could convince his mother not to drink. And so the entire album, So That You Might Hear Me, is really a theme on sorrow and suffering and really wanting the best for that person and really wanting them to be okay and not be alone and being reminiscent and remorseful for them and how they've turned out. Even if you can't do anything about it, that is the overarching theme from this album. So that's what I sung. I sung Laurel Leaf, which is all about being hospitalized for your own issues because one of you has to get better. And I almost was hospitalized because it was either her or me that had to get better and I wasn't waiting around on her. So I decided to go to therapy, get on medication again and get better and, you know, go to day, go to day programs and go into outpatient rehab and learn about myself. But the theme of the song that made me cry so, so many times Initially, I sang it for that girl, but now I sing it to myself. I realized all along I needed to sing it to myself. And the lead line of the song went, You don't have to be lonely or alone. I could be there in a heartbeat, my friend. You don't need to be lonely or alone. And it stuck with me. So that's the song that I pulled up the lyrics for and played. The moral of the story in Norway was it doesn't matter how far you run away. It doesn't matter how much fun you try to have in whatever method to try and numb or drown or ease the pain. It doesn't matter if you are in the North friggin' Pole and that's after you ran 3,000 miles away from your original suffering. It doesn't matter because your pain and your suffering will follow you wherever you go. And that's it. That's the lesson. I had an amazing time in Svalbard. And everyone that I mentioned before, I thank you once again for helping me realize that meditating in this small church in the North Pole, that was where I needed to start healing. That's where I needed to start developing myself as a person. I'd started developing myself as a person in the regards of how to function on my own and how to be a functioning independent adult because I had no choice when I decided I was going to move out on my own and go 3,000 miles away and not claim any financial support from my mother who was financially struggling herself. But this is where I started spiritually and psychologically developing really for the first time. This is where I first sat with myself and said, something's not right. 
And I had a lot of deep conversations with the people in the hostel. I had a lot of very deep conversations with the people that you'll meet in my next story. And I leave it at that. So, my question to you, my friend, where is your suffering rooted? Have you sat with it? Have you fought it yet? Or have you done what I did and have you bottled it up? To quote a song that I'm going to record for my next album, are you the bird or are you the cage? Do you stand your ground and fight or do you fly away? Or are you just the bird in the cage? And to this I add my beautiful silence. <laughs>